I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, Yue Xu, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Krafchick, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating in the time of coronavirus. I have no idea what week we're in. If you had to take a guess, is it like our fifth week? No, I think it's more, right? I feel like we just hit the month mark. Well, at least in San Francisco, I think we went into lockdown mid-March. It was right around whenever St. Patrick's Day was. Yeah, so it's like it was the right 17th. Around then. Yeah, so I think we're in our fifth week. No, that's six week, right? <laughs> How, how okay, do you we're read a calendar our again? fifth and sixth week? <laughs> I don't even know how to read a calendar anymore. What are these numbers? Oh, yeah, you're right. 
We are going into our sixth week. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like up until now I've been doing okay, but like this week I've been having a really hard time. And I think it's just because it feels, I felt like there was like a momentary light at the end of the tunnel and I'm not sure if that's happening anytime soon again. Like I keep going in waves like that. So what, what's been bothering you this week? Just that I just don't know when this is ever going to end. I think it's like the unknown. Like I think when it felt like there was a plan starting to come into case, but then we had like a really bad week. Yeah. And even if we like go back to civilization, we can't go back immediately. I just feel like the longer we can stay in quarantine, the more we'll get our time back later in the year. We're just like trying to buy time. That's how I see this. I feel like this will get extended for another two or three weeks. But that also means I think we will have a pretty good summer. And then we'll probably have shelter in place again in the fall. Yeah, I don't know. It's just also <laughs> like, I feel like every day it's like someone else throwing out a new theory. So yeah, it's just... I know. Everyone's a corona expert at this I know. point. But I think it's all a mindset. It's what you believe to be the solution or the light at the end of the tunnel. I feel like for me, the weather has been getting much warmer lately, which makes me feel really good. Yeah, for sure. Like once the seasons start changing, it just feels like life is going on. That makes me happy. But I agree the uncertainty definitely is sitting a little uneasy with everyone. This is the thing with what's happening right now. You're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. However you feel today, you're not going to feel the same way tomorrow. And I think you're do- feeling that ebb and flow of your normal emotions. Whoever's feeling like they're in a rough spot right now, you're definitely not alone. I think this is getting oh, harder yeah. and harder. For me in particular, this whole week has been about loss for me. I lost my grandpa on Wednesday. And it's been really tough because, you know, we couldn't say goodbye to him or even just see him because he's in a nursing home in Beijing. And my family has not been able to see him since end of last year. Yeah. So I I think for me, this feeling of loss is really amplified. It's not just loss of life, but also loss. I think people are feeling loss of jobs, loss of time, loss of freedom. This theme is really resonating. And it's also amplified this week. And what can we do during this time to deal with these feelings? And to me, Julie, honestly, I think instead of suppressing them, I need them to to just come out. Yeah, I mean, I think like, first of all, I'm very sorry about your grandfather. Like, it's so hard right now. I think like, it's I mean, it's on that scale. And we also talked to someone we did an interview this week about someone that was just dealing with like a breakup during this time, right? And I think both of those, right? It's again, on different scales. But it's the reality that life hasn't stopped. Like your grandfather wasn't affected by COVID-19. But it doesn't make this any harder to like get through right now. And I think like we're all expected to be like, this is the one thing we're focused on. And the reality is like we have lives and we have emotions that have nothing to do with COVID-19. So it's like everything kind of suppressed at once is can be very difficult. And just know that don't force yourself to try to be positive. I think there's no harm in just feeling your feelings. Let them bubble up, let them come out, let them surface. This is the fact is we're going into week six, or we think we're going into week six of shelter in place. If you're not feeling like you did last week, then join the club. But we're here to support each other and help each other. I really find that our Facebook group, Julie, has has been a great support system for many. Oh, for sure. And I think like that 
comes into this week's episode, we were really excited when Mark Manson, who's a really popular author that you guys probably have heard of from the fuck yeah or fuck no article that was kind of like the Bible of dating for so (laughs) long. I think this whole episode has really been, I mean, it's based off of his new Audible original called Love is Not Enough. And it really makes you look at like romantic partnerships and relationships in your life. And sometimes to his point, love is not enough. Like there there's other things, there's other factors. And I don't know, for me, I've also just been trying to figure out a relationship in my life. And I think this quarantine has been really good to have this self-reflection of like, what is it you really want? Have things changed enough? Are you the right person for them? And are they the right person for you? All of this. And Mm -hmm. I think just like having this self-reflection time, like I know a lot of people have been just scared that we're, you know, like valuable dating time has been lost. And I think we talked about this in our past episode, the quarantine from fuckboys with Shallon Lester that despite its funny name actually had a lot of really good insights. And also on today's episode is that this time, like we can use this for self-reflection. We can use this for bettering ourselves. So when we go back into the world, we come out as stronger people knowing what we really want and what's important to us in a partnership. And I think for me too, like this has given light to like remaking finding a partnership a priority for me. I think like Mm. deep down I've wanted a partnership, but I don't think I've made it a priority since my last breakup. And I think it's really shown me that I do want that partner in my life. And I don't want to keep going through life necessarily on my own, even though I can go through my own. I think it's been kind of self-assuring to know that I can take care of myself during this time. But just because you can doesn't mean that's what you want. So it's really how do I start putting that out into the world and finding that partnership that I really will make me happy. So it's finding that you found the clarity that you want someone who's a partner for you in your life. It's almost like you're ready to have to allow the space for someone else in your life in that capacity. Yeah, and not just like a casual person, not casual in the sense of like, I think I'm past like a casual sex type of mentality in general, but like even casual dating, like I want someone that's all in at this point. And like that to me is number one. So that's what you should be putting out in the universe, Julie. It's not finding a partner, finding a partner who's all in. Exactly. Exactly. And I think like in this time, it's like become even more clear that like life is short and, you know, you got to make the most of everything and like work towards what's the most important things towards you. Yeah. So what do you think is the first step to putting that out in the universe? I mean, I think it's like just as a full caveat, I'm working through something right now. So it's, it's still unclear if this will be something that we pursue. But I think it's really getting clarity of like, are we both really in the place to be all in on this? And if we're not like putting it to rest for good, and like mm-hmm. being free of this to move into something that is that person. So I'm not saying that that's not this person, but I need to get that clarity and not let it keep drawing out. So I think that's the biggest thing. Well, yeah, this is the perfect time to work through that. 
but also not get your feelings muddled because of the lockdowns. Yeah, and I think that's like something that we've heard from people in the Love in the Time of Corona group also is that sometimes we're hearing that people are coming back into people's lives because of just loneliness and boredom. And Mm -hmm. like we had one person say like, this woman I went on a couple dates with (laughs) came back and I don't trust the feelings are genuine. And in that Mm -hmm. case, like you really do need to trust your intuition. I don't think it's all bad if someone comes back into your life right now because I think this time is shedding what I was saying of like a lot of people refocusing and reprioritizing relationships. So maybe someone did genuinely feel like they made a mistake. But I also think you know when someone's coming back when it's just like they have nothing better to be doing and all of that. Yeah. And also you want to see how they show up. If they're coming back and they're showing up the exact same way they did last time, then you know that this has nothing to do with you. It's just their needs. But if someone shows up differently, then this is a different chapter. Right. And I think the episode that we have coming up for you guys, I mean, honestly, I think this is probably one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. So we'll keep this intro relatively short because, you know, let's just get to it. But I think Mark is just so insightful in terms of relationships and he really just doesn't sugarcoat anything. And I think there's like so many romantic comedies and books and whatever it may be that says like, love is all you need and love is enough. And he's basically like, nope, it isn't. (laughs) Like there's a lot more factors to life and difficult times in your life can really like make or break a partner even if they do love you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need more than just love. And he does answer one burning question for me, which is, are we all inherently fucked up? I won't give the answer away. So you'll have to listen to the episode. But he does answer that question with full confidence. (laughs) I guess let's switch to something a little bit lighthearted. I think we could use some of that for now. I I certainly could, but I really want to thank our sponsor for this episode, as this episode is brought to you by Best Fiends, which is one of my favorite games to play right now in this time of social distancing. The game is completely free to download. I am obsessed with it, but in on a very healthy scale, okay? I'm on level, I believe, 70 now, so I've gone up 20 levels since the last time we talked about them. (laughs) And the game basically takes you through a series of challenging puzzles that are fun, take your mind off of things, but also engage your brain. I like that it's a casual game so you can play during any amount of downtime that you may have. They've got these great cute little bug characters in the game. There's like a slug and there's like flies. I don't know. I can't even explain why they're so cute, but it makes me smile every time. So now I'm on level 70. I'm trying to get to more and more levels, but Every month they update the game so it's never old. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Now let's get to this episode with Mark Manson. A few years ago, there was an article that was so popular. I think we referenced it on multiple episodes. It was called Fuck Yes or No. And it was by an author called Mark Manson. And Mark and I, guess what? We have a lot in common. We both started a relationship blog over a decade ago, geared towards men. And I thought the same thing as you. I thought this is just for my male friends. Who's going to read it? Who cares? It's a great (laughs) platform to just get my thoughts out there. And quickly, Mark saw his blog grow. And soon enough, 
strangers were reading this blog. Many people were coming to this blog. In fact, millions of people were coming to this blog, and that's where he is today. He is a self-help author, blogger, and entrepreneur. Obviously, we reference his very popular article, Fuck Yes or No, which can be found among many other articles on his website, markmanson.net. He's also the New York Times bestselling author of three books, Everything is Fucked, a book about hope, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, a counterintuitive <laughs> approach to living the good life, and Models, Attract Women Through Honesty. What? No fuck in that? <laughs> in that title? <laughs> you missed one there. You have the best title era. names by far. <laughs> but now he has an audible original called Love is Not Enough that brings his signature no-nonsense wisdom and a lot of fuck words back to the subject he started his career covering, which is about relationships. So he's 36 years old, lives in New York City, currently on lockdown, originally from Austin, and is married. So Mark, in Love is Not Enough, kind of compare the Beatles song, All You Need is Love, and then the Nine Inch Nails song, Love is Not Enough. Why do you think, you know, this like rainbows and butterflies sort of approach to love that love conquers all is super flawed. I think it's flawed in that we tend to assume that because something feels very good, it must be very good. And love tricks us a lot in that way. Like we can fall in love with people who are bad for us. We can fall in love with people who don't treat us well or who are not healthy for us. But it's very hard to be aware of that when you're going through the experience of love or when you are falling for somebody. And so a lot of what I write about in relation to dating relationships is trying to get people to be a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more self-aware of, I guess, the broader picture when that is happening. And so I kind of use the Beatles and Nine Inch Nails reference just because it's, you know, the irony with with the Beatles is that, you know, John Lennon saying all you need is love, but he like beat his wives and abandoned one of his kids and was yeah. just most horrible husband. Asshole. Yeah. And uh, and then Trent Reznor, this guy who's like so famous for doing all this fucked up stuff on stage, writes a song called Love Is Not Enough. And if you look at his personal life, he is like the most functional, responsible mm-hmm. husband and father in the music industry. So I just thought it was a very cool dichotomy. Why do you think our society as a whole idealizes love so much and like thinks it's the solution to all problems? Well, I mean, I, I guess a very cynical answer to that question is love sells well. Um, mm. It's easy to sell love. Uh, we all love to see it. You know, we enjoy romantic movies and we enjoy seeing, you know, the people get together at the end of the movie and all those things. And so I think it's proliferated. You know, one thing that's interesting is that this whole idea that love can solve our relationship problems, it's a pretty recent thing in human history. It's only a couple hundred years old. Most of human history, people were actually very cynical about love. They thought it was as dangerous, if not more dangerous to the relationship than uh, otherwise. Mark, do you personally believe in love? Absolutely. My take on it is that love is like anything else. Like you can, there are healthy forms of love and there are unhealthy forms of love. Like we all do need love. Right. You know, Lennon wasn't wrong about that, but we need to be careful and make sure that the love is serving us and helping us. I also believe love is a choice. It's not that once you fall in love, it just, all your issues go away. The dishes that are unwashed in the sink just somehow get cleaned all of a sudden. It's that this choice and constant choice every minute, every moment. And I think sometimes we forget that in relationships. Oh yeah. I think especially like if you're single, you think that suddenly if you're in a relationship, you're going to be happy. And it Usually doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So in your Audible original, Love is Not Enough, it's so fascinating. You follow five real people over the course of six months, and they openly let you record all the issues (laughs) that they're bringing to you. (laughs) 
I think what's so fascinating is you relate everybody's problems back to like their history, their background, their, their upbringing, because I think sometimes we forget that that's what creates who you are today. There's one of my favorite relationship books is a, is a book by Harville Hendricks called Getting Love You Want. I'm biased. You know, you've seen my book titles, but I, I think it's a terrible <laughs> title. But the, but the book is fantastic. It doesn't have fuck it, in it. <laughs> it doesn't have fuck. It's not edgy. But it's um, he talks about in that book, he talks about how you know our childhood and our upbringing, our relationship with our parents when we grow up, it kind of writes what he calls our emotional maps or our, our love maps. Um, and it's basically like how we uncover consciously like find love in our lives. And so when we keep running into the same dysfunctional relationships over and over again, it's he says it's usually because the the love map that was written in our childhood pointed us to the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have to kind of like learn to re- rewrite that map. In the case with the Audible original, like it was important to find out these people's history, A, to kind of like get at what their love maps were. But also it's like I'm talking to these people for about an hour hour a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm like going in completely blind. So I have no idea who these people are. I don't know what their past relationships were like, what their parents were like, where they grew up, anything. So a lot of the early conversations were just me trying to like drill down as quickly as possible to f- look for patterns in their relationships in their lives. So do you think it goes back to just the way you were raised and just like the mental models you have around love? Or do you think there's other reasons that we settle for these like less than ideal situations. You know, I I don't think upbringing has ever explains everything. A lot of it depends on circumstances. You know, there is dating is often compared to a market and there is a little bit of a market functionality to dating, you know, so depending on the city you're in, uh, your religious beliefs, your political beliefs, your lifestyle, um, your gender, your sexual orientation, like all of those things kind of affect where you're going to meet people, the circumstances in which you're going to meet people. And so I think there's a real like kind of practical day-to-day life component mm-hmm. that you have to consider as well. One of the people in the project was a, a woman in her 30s actually here in New York who's just like basically been on like a 10-year dry spell with date. Like she, it's just for 10 years, she hasn't had a serious relationship. And one of my first you know inclinations is like, well, maybe she's just looking in the wrong places. And I mean, yeah, she was on Tinder a lot and Tinder is pretty <laughs> notorious these days for <laughs> having, a, having a low hit rate. And that probably was part of it. But at some point you have to realize like, okay, okay, okay. She's got some sort of pattern here that she's not aware of. Right. Well, it sounded like for her too, she was definitely standing for way less than she deserved and taking kind of like crumbs of relationships. And also just waiting for relationships to happen versus her going out and finding the right people. Yeah. it, It was interesting with her uh, you know, without spoiling too much, I when I was working with her, I really felt like I was spending most of the time like encouraging her to be more proactive. And I, it's something I generally encourage women to do is to be more assertive and like upfront with what they want and how they feel. But then she was just meeting like the shittiest guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, well, maybe yeah, actually, maybe it's good that you didn't tell him that you want right. to relate. After all. (laughs) Why do you think like she kept meeting those shitty guys and she wasn't able to be like, this is not a healthy situation. This is not good for me. Like, what is it that some people cannot recognize? Because I know I've been there before. I've definitely been in Mm -hmm. situations that looking back, I'm like, why? Why did I do that to myself? And I'm curious what your thoughts are. I think a lot of people, and I see this in both men and women, I think a lot of people, they develop 
like some unconscious patterns or unconscious assumptions about like who they can date and can't, mm-hmm. who is like an acceptable partner for them and who's not. And I, I don't even think they realize it, but mm. they kind of self-select sometimes for a certain type of person who's just bad for them. And so they feel stuck. They're like, these are the only people I'm meeting, but none of them are good for me. When it's, they don't even realize that they're overlooking a bunch of other mm. people like very early on in the process Absolutely. without realizing it. Well, what was interesting about her story was her life was a hot mess before and she turned her life around and she thought now's the time for me to attract that right person so i think she almost assumed that whoever she attracted in her new stage in life would be the right person yeah and and then you know just to even add another layer of complexity on top of that it actually started infiltrating she actually started developing like a very negative set of beliefs around men in general You know, Mm. she was like, oh, well, when I was a mess, men loved me. And now that I'm like all put together and have my life in order, men don't want to have anything to do with me. So I guess men men are just shit. And she she developed a lot of like negative beliefs around men that obviously is also not conducive to... to having a function. Because if you believe that all men are just like, don't have your interests at heart, then you're going to kind of unconsciously select for the ones who don't because they confirm what you already believe. We talk about that a lot. It's Mm -hmm. like, you're looking for a red car, for example, and everywhere now you see red cars. So it's like, you kind of spotted that and that's what you're seeking out at that point. Yeah, your brain is an evidence finder, not a truth seeker. So your brain is just giving you all the evidence that your narrative is telling you. And this is the narrative we hear from a lot of women who write into our show who say, I've worked so hard to get where I am today. I'm so professionally successful. I have great family and friends. I deserve a good man. Why can't I find a good man? There are no good men out there. That's the narrative they keep telling themselves and they keep looking for the bad guys. You know, this is something I say sometimes and, you know, it might not be the most politically correct thing, but I I think it's true, which is (laughs) as you and as you guys, I'm sure you guys believe too, like relationship it's a skill set like you mm-hmm. you you have to learn these things and practice these things and develop these parts of yourselves and i guess traditionally if you look at previous generations men were always kind of stereotyped as being very emotionally clueless um mm-hmm. you know and it's the classic male gender role was always like okay get really good at your career make a bunch of money mm-hmm. and like all the soft touchy feely stuff let women deal with it and with feminism and with all the new gender roles breaking down barriers and all this stuff i think maybe there's a little bit of assumption with a lot of women that it's like, okay, well, I work my ass off on my career. I'm making all this money, but they don't realize that they never developed those emotional skills. Yeah, right. So they, they're actually in a very similar position that men traditionally were in, which is they're super successful, very proud of themselves, high self-esteem, but they never actually learned how to develop intimacy and be in a relationship. A hundred percent. So I think what I love about your Audible original is that you follow people like the woman we were just talking about that kind of stands for less than ideal situations just in terms of men not committing or maybe treating her like a first priority and all that. And then you also talk about like more extreme ones, like a woman that is still dating a married man. And some of the things that you like Mm -hmm. traditionally think of how do you kind of identify when there is a bad situationship is what i was going to say but that is maybe the right (laughs) word that actually actually. is the right word i was trying to say situation but it is situationship so (laughs) just came up by default (laughs) there yeah not to uh rain on your poetic new word but what what do you mean by bad situationship (laughs) 
I don't know, like a healthy relationship, right? You think of like when there's two very committed partnerships that treat each other like equals and really are giving to each other and taking as much in an equal fashion. And then there's these situations where one person is clearly not getting their needs met and continuing to go after the relationship despite feeling upset like the whole time. And I know like, I mean, I've definitely been there. It's like, I know logically this is not a good situation, but for whatever reason, you keep doing it. And I guess like, what are some of the ways that you're, you can spot when someone is in one of these unhealthy uh, toxic relationships. Gotcha. The other woman you brought up, she's a perfect example of kind of everything that we're talking about. Very high powered woman, extremely successful in her career, extremely smart, and just stuck in a relationship with a married guy who turned out was like borderline emotionally abusive towards her. You know, one of the things that I discovered with her pretty quickly was that she grew up in such a dysfunctional household, like such an abusive childhood. That relationship she was in actually felt loving to her. Mm -hmm. That actually was the most loving relationship she had ever been in. And that was eye-opening, both for me and for her, to realize that. When all you've experienced is dad being drunk and like disappearing for months at a time, then sleeping with somebody at work who won't leave their wife for you is like, that's an upgrade. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's all relative, basically. Yeah, but it's still not good, right? Right. It's still Mm -hmm. toxic. One of the metaphors I use a lot to kind of help people determine whether their relationship is healthy or unhealthy is I think it comes down to conflict. How well you as a couple deal with fighting or Mm. uh, disagreements. Generally, what I've found is that couples that are very healthy with each other the conflict, it kind of has this feeling of pushing a rock like down a hill. It's, you know, the more you work on it, the easier it gets. Mm. And it actually kind of brings you guys together. Whereas an unhealthy relationship, it feels like you're constantly pushing this rock up a hill. And Mm. it's like the more you push, the more difficult it gets. And then it doesn't matter how far you push it, it's just going to roll back down tomorrow anyway. That's interesting because I feel like there's those situations where you walk on eggshells because you don't want to, you know, rock the boat. And I think that's definitely to what Pushing uphill. Exactly. And if your conflicts are never being resolved, I mean, that's why you walk on eggshells. Because it's like if your conflicts actually get resolved and bring you two closer together, then you don't mind having conflict. There's no reason to hide things from each other. But it's like if the conflict is just ripping a scab off over and over again, then it's like, okay, I'm just going to shut up and not say anything. This reminds me of, remember, Julie, I told you about um, a friend of mine and she and her husband fought for two years when they first got married because they welcomed conflict. So they got all the conflicts out of the way and now they don't fight anymore because everything's so easy (laughs) on the table. Literally got it out of the way. And now thinking with this period of pandemic, and lockdowns, I think a lot of couples are going to have to face some of these conflicts head on right now. I think though what Mark, you were saying earlier about how some of it is a skill you have to learn. So I think some of it is obviously the partner you're with, but I think a lot of it is yourself too. Because I know from personal experience, like I think when I had these more toxic relationships in my life, yes, I probably picked the wrong partner, but I also was not comfortable with addressing conflict. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've just learned to do that through therapy, through this podcast, like all these different things. So I think some of it is your own mental state and then also finding someone that's at that same mental state. Totally. I mean, this is kind of another litmus test, right? Like in a toxic relationship, people tend to bring the worst out of each other. Mm. Whereas I think in a healthier relationship, uh, your partner 
kind of makes you better. They see your weaknesses and flaws and they know how to adapt to it and vice versa. Whereas in a toxic relationship, it just, it makes each of you weaker. Mm-hmm. Sense. Your story really resonated with me because I have a lot of girlfriends and also guy friends who are high powered, who are very successful. And for some reason, they define their self-worth by the pedigree of the partners they attract. Mm. So he also went in Ivy League. He's a startup founder and he's this and that. And I feel like he's a good match for me because he's pedigreed in that way. But they don't take into regard how good these people are and their personalities. (laughs) And even if they get along and even if they're compatible, I sent your Audible original to a friend of mine because it reminded me of her so much because for so long, she is just so incredibly smart. I think I know who you're talking about. No, you totally know who I'm talking about. She's so smart, business-wise, but comes to personal relationships, she only goes for guys who are, yes, very pedigreed, but come in and out of her life. They weave in and out. And to her, she's created this narrative that that's okay because they're so busy doing their huge accomplishments that Mm. the the little time that they give her, that's love. Yeah. And it's been like this for two years, you know, with the same guy. So I'm like, please listen to this. You need to listen to this. (laughs) Well, I guess that's a good, I think you were saying earlier, Mark, some of it is relative to what love you've seen and what stories you're telling. What do you do when someone like that, well, use that example, example is like, but I'm in love with them. What do you say to that when you know it's an unhealthy situation, but they feel that love? Love is not enough. I mean, it's (laughs) like this. I I know that sounds curt, but like really this has kind of been my rallying cry in terms of like all my relationship advice for years now is that we we have to get over this idea that like, oh, but I love Mm her. Oh, but but I'm so in love with her. Well, it'll be okay. You know, and it's like, no, (laughs) it's not going to be okay. In fact, it's probably probably going to get worse. You know, if you're, if you don't have respect, if you don't have trust, if people aren't committed, if they aren't like you were saying, you like they're, they're not making that daily choice of like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice this to be with this person. Mm-hmm. It's not going to get better. So we, we have to kind of get over this idea, this romantic idea. You know, romance is great, feels wonderful and it's, it's important, but there are more important things to be optimizing for, I think, in our relationship. And on the flip side of that is, oh, but Mark, I'm in love. Flip side is relationships are all about compromise. Mm -hmm. So when do you know you're starting to sacrifice too much to compromise for your partner? That's a good question and a tough question. I mean, I think there's a threshold where at some point, you know, everybody ends up having to compromise in relationships. But I think there are certain things that are core to your identity and your values that you that have to kind of be uh, sacred, that have to be off limits. It's like that that cheesy meatloaf song. I'll, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> oh, I, I used to play that on repeat 24 seven. Oh I forgot you, about like that song. Anything for love. It was so passionate. I know, right? But but you have we all have to have a that. I think what people don't realize is that if you're willing to give up everything, everything, every part of who you are, everything you care about, everything you value, you are removing the person that your partner fell in love with in the first place. You're kind of just gutting yourself emotionally of all content. It's self-defeating. It may be it's one of those things that will maybe smooth things over in the short run, but it's Uh, In the long run, it makes things worse. Let's hold that thought for a second. We'll get right back to it. 
This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast exit interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey. And yet we rate everything in our lives from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to exit interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the walls. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mark, I just had a, a business idea for you. <laughs> you need to create a p- playlist that takes people through this journey. It starts with the John Lennon song, All You Need Is Love, and then you go to Meatloaf, and then you you start getting into um, Nine, Nine Inch, Inch Nails. Nails, Love Is Not Enough, and then you just get into like some really real songs, you know, maybe like uh, one of the rap songs, but you, you just take people through a journey. I, I, I see many lawsuits in my future. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm not going to do that business idea. Yeah, a lot, a lot of copyright infringement. How about a private idea. playlist just so we can hear? <laughs> just for us. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I think one of the things that you talk about a lot is boundaries, which mm-hmm. is very important. And I think we hear this over and over again. I guess, how would you define boundaries? Because I think there's something a little scary about the word boundaries. Mm. At least I feel that way sometimes. Yeah, I, I think people kind of recoil at the idea of erecting barriers. You know, we like to yeah. we like to ha- 
have the idea that, you know, we can be open about everything and we can love everybody. And, you know, it's like life doesn't work that way. Like there has to be a certain expectations of conduct between two people. And at the core of it, I, I define boundaries as basically being each person takes responsibility for their own actions and their own emotions. And they mm. don't take responsibility for the other person's actions and emotions. Uh, and so what you see in a lot of relationship situations is one person is kind of a deadbeat or down on their luck or whatever. And the partner is like, oh, well, I'll get him a job and I'll mm-hmm. pay his rent and I'll make sure, you know, oh, I'm going to send him back to school. And like, just, yeah. you know, they start trying to fix the other person mm, while building and, uh, resentment at the same time <laughs> totally and and the, and the person being fixed is building resentment too because right. it's like their autonomy is being impeded upon there are a lot of dynamics that play out one i call the breaker and the fixer one i call the runner and the chaser which sounds like your friend mm-hmm. it's when one person is always pulling back from the relationship and the other person is always stepping forward to try to catch mm. them and, and bring them back. It's a way to kind of experience the feeling of intimacy without actually having to expose yourself and be intimate with somebody. And so when we have porous and bad boundaries, we start developing these patterns with people and the patterns become very destructive. They create a lot of drama. They create a lot of conflict unnecessarily. And uh, neither person is really getting their needs met. So what is an example of like the breaker and a fixer? Like what's a healthy boundary that you could put in place if you're in that situation? So I can call on my own personal history here. You know, my first relationship in my life, I was the fixer and my girlfriend was the breaker. And Mm -hmm. we were young. We were both very like emotionally dysfunctional. Ultimately, their strategy strategies to feel loved and feel important and feel needed. She found that if she could cause problems, I would come and fix them. And when I fixed them, it made me feel needed and loved. And Mm -hmm. when I fixed them for her, she felt loved. But the problem is, is that as soon as I fix a problem, well, now she's got to find some something else to break, you know, because it's like, oh, yeah. shit, he's not fixing something. I don't know if I'm loved anymore. Here, let me break this. And so it was just kind of the spiral of drama over and over. And it was just over stupid things. And it kept getting worse and worse and worse. Ultimately, the only way it stops is one of the two people opts out of the cycle. So in the case of a breaker, the breaker would have to say, you know what? I don't want you to fix anything for me anymore. You know, I don't want you to get me a job. I don't want you to pay my rent. I don't want you to try to take care of me. I need to do this myself. And in the case of the fixer, it's it's saying the flip side of that, which is like, you know what? I'm not helping you anymore. You need to stand up on your own, take care of yourself. Be res- I still love you, but you need to be responsible for yourself. And generally in very unhealthy relationships, like if there's not a whole lot of mutual respect and trust there, as soon as one person opts out, the relationship breaks. And that actually mm-hmm. happens with Vanessa. I spend the first couple of conversations with her, spoilers, but I, th- <laughs> I spend the first, first couple of conversations with her, teaching her about boundaries and teaching her how to opt out of these cycles with the, the married man. And it's funny because she originally came to me and she's like, I don't know how to break up with him. I don't know how to break up with him. I want to get out. I want to get out. And it turned out she didn't even have to do anything. It, all she had to do was simply stop playing right. the game. Right. And he immediately broke up with her. It's like, wow, you're done. You know, like. <laughs> well, it kind of goes back to your litmus test earlier. Like, if someone's willing to work with you on conflict or not. And a lot yeah. of times in these situations, like you just said, they're not willing to work with you. So it just ends. I don't know. I mean, if there was a situation where someone felt like they were the fixer and the breaker, but then they had that healthy boundary and at that point, 
the two partners were able to work together, maybe it would turn more healthy. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so the 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 alternative outcome is, you know, let's say the breaker's like, you know what, I don't want you to fix my problems anymore. I need to do this on my own, and the fixer is like, oh yeah, okay. That's fine because what you're doing is you're relieving the fixer of the responsibility of dealing with all these things. And so both people can sit with that and not freak out and not lash out at each other. Then it, it actually, that is how you transition into a healthy relationship. Got it. So it's not always doomed. <laughs> There's a way to always. turn it around. No, you, it can be fixed. Yeah, it can be fixed or, or I don't like the word fixed. Like yeah. it can, it can evolve. Right. And what about with the chaser and the runner? What are some boundaries they can set? Yeah. It's just, I'm not going to chase anymore. In the simple case of, so like the woman we were talking about, like she had a guy who was just ghosting her constantly. And I'm like, well, look, like be straight up. Like, do you want to date me? If yes, (laughs) stop ghosting me. If (laughs) no, peace. You know, like that's a boundary, right? It's like when you draw a line in the sand and you say, I am no longer tolerating this behavior and this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, he ghosted her again and it, and it's like it, it fell apart. Well, I think people have trouble with boundaries because they're afraid of that outcome. Like I think totally. there's a lot of feeling like, well, at least I have someone, at least I have something going on. And not to say that that's healthy, but I think that's where the boundary creation gets scary. And also you have to know where your intentions for the boundaries come from. You can't set these boundaries hoping for him to say, oh, yeah. no, I want to be with you. Right. And then you're super disappointed when he doesn't do that. You right. actually <laughs> have to believe in the boundary that you're setting. Right. Yeah. It can't be a game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's anytime you gamify anything in relationships, you're ruining it. (laughs) it, It's it's what yeah what you what you just said reminds me of like when I wrote my men's dating book, which which is it's called Attract Women Through Honesty. I -hmm. used to get emails when it first came out. I used to get emails from guys, and and this is back when the whole pickup artist thing was going on. And uh, I used to get emails from guys, and and they're like like Hey, Mark, uh, read your book. Was really cool, but uh, you know, I tried the whole honesty thing. Didn't work, man. It's like it totally didn't get laid. You are You're missing doing the point. it wrong. Yeah. You are doing it wrong. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I think that though, that ties into this whole, like you brought this up in the um, Audible original of like this holding on to a fantasy. And I do think yeah. that is part of why people don't want to create the boundary. How do you think like this idea of pretending like things are going to work out or pretending like things are great or you... I don't know, can see a future with someone that might not be in your life at all, whatever that fantasy is. How do you think that is destructive to people? Uh, The fantasy thing was really interesting. So when I went into this project, it was pretty obvious that there are going to be a few themes just because I've been writing about this stuff for so long. So I I knew I knew boundaries were going to come up. You know, I knew vulnerability and honesty was going to come up. That always comes up. Uh, The fantasy thing was really interesting because that was the one thing that I started connecting the dots on that as the project went on. I started mm. to realize, so there was one one woman who came in, her issue was specifically around fantasy. She actually mm. like compulsively fantasized about another woman who was not her partner. And it was causing all sorts of stress and problems in her life. And at first I was kind of like, oh, she she's a little bit of the oddball here. Like her pro like everybody else had like boundary issues and honesty issues and self-esteem issues and all this stuff. And it's like, then you've got this one woman who's just like got this fantasy thing going on. But as the project went on, I started to realize that all these other people had fantasy issues too. It's just that their fantasies weren't as, I guess, obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, so there's, there's one man in it who his name's Jerry and he's twice divorced and both divorces were catastrophic. Um, I mean, he's, he's got like some PTSD type things going on from them and he's in his first new relationship and he's really into his girlfriend and he starts, he, he's struggling with like every, like he's literally afraid to tell her that he thinks it's too cold in the room because like talk about walking on eggshells. Like he is like, he's terrified to even like tap his toe on an eggshell uh, because, <laughs> mm-hmm. because he's just like so traumatized from his, his, his past yeah, uh, divorces. Yeah, he doesn't even have eggs in his room. <laughs> exactly. And I started to realize that it's like, wait, Jerry's got fantasy going on too, which is in his head, the fantasy is, is if I ask to turn the AC down, my girlfriend's going to get angry at me. Mm. Like that's completely irrational and unreasonable. It's like just as detached from reality as some of these other fantasies. And so I started to notice this in other people I was talking to. And I'm like, huh. And then of course, obviously you think about the love and romance thing and, and you know, the Disney fantasy of, mm. you know, living happily ever after and everything. And, and um, so fantasy ended up becoming one of like the central themes of the project we fantasize a lot about love and we in, invent these stories in our heads about our partners, about our relationships, about people we want to date or people we think who would be perfect for us. And a lot of times these fantasies are A, completely detached from reality. Mm-hmm. And so they end up hurting us a lot. B, a lot of times they're, they're kind of a defense mechanism. They're mm-hmm. a way to protect ourselves from having to face reality. That's fascinating because I always think of it like the Disney positive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because a fantasy by definition is being detached from reality. But we kind of think, oh, if I'm fantasizing about something, it must be, <laughs> must be something good. really positive. <laughs> yeah, it must be really yeah. good. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so we've talked about the three characters, right? I'm calling them characters. They're real people. The <laughs> three <laughs> subjects that you had. Can you give us quick summaries of the other two? Sure. The other two, one is a 30-something-year-old man from Utah named Mike. And Mike is Mike's the best, man. I uh, <laughs> Talk about detached from reality. Yeah. It, it's fun. I want to meet him. He's a great guy. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that like you actually start kind of feeling bad for him, you know, I mm. think about halfway through. Because uh, originally he came to me, he was like, man, I can't get off Tinder. I'm just like... <laughs> I'm like addicted to Tinder. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you know, all right. Like, I, I think I, I did a preliminary call with him. Like, let's see where this goes. And he just ended up being such a character uh, <laughs> that I was like, oh my God, I have, I have to talk to this guy. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, he, he's just completely deluded. Uh, he bought his ex-girlfriend a house to try to get her back. I'm Which like, insane. Was he the, he Whoa. was the one that would like fly all over the place for like a first date. Was that the same guy? Or he, I had to talk. Oh, right, him you out talk him it. down from that. <laughs> You're <laughs> yeah. like, no, don't fly across the country for a yeah, first date. Like, talk about <laughs> fantasizing, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. <sighs> yeah, and it's funny too because he's he's a uh, you know on paper you would never assume that like he's he's a button up corporate guy from Utah, Republican, like very manly, like renovates his own house and like builds his own drywall and all this crap and like. <laughs> And he's just like the most rampant fantasizer and romantic 
maybe in the in the entire project. You know what? We get people that reach out being like, is it a good idea that I go to like um, France and meet up with this guy for a weekend? Like this <laughs> like, definitely. Uh, no. <laughs> We're no. like, if you want to go on a trip, go, but don't go because like you think that this is going to happen. And like, they're like, yeah, but he doesn't want to do long distance, but should I still go anyways? And we're like, yeah, they keep creating excuses for the other person. I always say stop being someone's publicist yeah, because that's not your yeah. job, right? You need to stop defending them and making, right. making them sound so good. It's amazing how, and I mean, these are usually like, they're smart people, right? Yeah. They're like, they're, and they're very competent in other areas of their lives, but it's, it's just amazing how for a lot of us, and I know I was the same way for a long time, like my IQ just gets cut in half. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's go do it. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's horrible. (laughs) I mean, I think it is the fantasy that all you need is love, like what we talked about earlier. Because I mean, I've definitely experienced that too, is like, I thought no matter how much I love someone, like all the other problems didn't matter. Like I could make, I could fix it, right? I know we don't like the word fix, but I actually thought that for a while that Julie, can can you give us an example of a time you did that? Because I can think of one in particular. This is when I was in New York. I was in love with this guy and we broke up because I was just being crazy on my own. And I thought that if I would run into him on his way out of work, oh that we would have this encounter <laughs> and we would slow-mo run into each other's arms and say that we love each other. So I literally would walk past the street every day around 6.30, knowing he got off work around that time, hoping to run into him. Never oh, wow. did, thank God, because wow. I wouldn't... He would have definitely known I was a stalker. But in my mind, I kept thinking, we just need that one more chance encounter. And when we, when the universe brings us together in his eyes, we will fix everything and everything will be perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think my example is a little different, which is actually good (laughs) because it can show the extreme differences of how this shows up in people's lives. But like, I was in a relationship for over a year with someone that I really truly loved and he loved me as well, but he just had other things going on in his life, like in terms of just challenges he was facing that was totally external to our relationship that prevented it from getting to that next level. Like, of getting married, moving in together, mm-hmm. all of that. And I think for so long, I thought I could fix those problems. And the problems were things he really had to do on his own. And I just couldn't. Yeah. Like, it just wasn't possible. So yeah, I think it really can range to like, what you were just saying, UA, having this fantasy of like, running in and saving the day versus being in something really thick with someone where two people like I do strongly believe in my heart that we both really do love each other. It just didn't mm-hmm. work because love is not enough. Yeah, right person, wrong time. My fantasy story is pretty similar to yours. I, 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 uh, that first girlfriend, that toxic relationship. So, you know, like most toxic, young, especially young toxic relationships, we uh, we broke up and got back together like five different times. And after one of the, I think actually it was the last breakup and we were doing long distance because we were, we had ended up, we went to different universities. That last breakup, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to stand for this. I'm going to like show her that I love her and that you know, I'm committed to this and blah, blah, blah. And so I got, I didn't tell her anything. I got on a bus, sat on a bus for eight eight hours. You started with a bus. (laughs) Bus is never a good idea. (laughs) It never goes well. It's going downhill fast. (laughs) Showed up at her apartment (laughs) unannounced. And uh, yeah, it didn't go well. (laughs) I mean, she let me stay for the night, but yeah, the next (laughs) Thank but, goodness. Yeah, she's like, you got to, you got to get out of here. <laughs> it, w- it wasn't as romantic as you had played back in your no, head. No, <laughs> no. You know, 
what the okay what is the line though because i this actually made me think of another situation i was in like last year i a relationship of mine ended because my boyfriend lost his visa and had to move back to the uk and i think i am definitely more of an emotional person and he was very logical and i was all for doing long distance and really trying to make it work and he was like realistically like how is this going to work (laughs) like it was very black and Mm. white and i think everything he said made sense and i don't fault him but i do also believe if two people are really committed to something and in it they can make something work and maybe that's me being having the fantasy i don't know what's the line because it's not necessarily ideal to live our lives with no fantasy either sure the fantasy is okay as long as it kind of exists within the bounds of trust. So for instance, like flying to to France to meet a guy that you've never met before, like you don't know this person, (laughs) they could be an axe murderer. Like it's, that's unreasonable, (laughs) you know? Whereas if you've been dating somebody for five years and they move to France, then yeah, flying out there totally makes sense. You know, maybe that will reignite something. Maybe that, maybe that will lead to a conversation that could create something. It's one of those things where the relationship kind of has to earn the fantasy. It has to earn the right to the fantasy. The, the fantasy can't save a relationship. It has to like magnify uh, yeah. what's already there. And there needs to be context. I think like in history, I think like we think the big romantic gesture can save it. And yeah. then <laughs> if it, it works comes in the movies. Yeah, ex- <laughs> and I think that's where we've got in this idealistic version, right? It's like we totally. think that like you said, if your story was a movie that you took a bus to see your ex, that would not have ended probably the way it ended, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's what gives us this false hope and ideas. Yeah. We've talked about fucked up relationships. I think now is <laughs> a good time to talk about healthy relationships and some takeaways and parting advice. Before we get into that, Mark, do you believe everyone's just inherently fucked up? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, boom. All right, there we go. There's the easy. takeaway. Done. One. <laughs> Mic drop. We're all fucked up. <laughs> I, I uh there's uh I saw an interview of a artist that I'm a fan of once and he had like the best description of love that I've ever seen. He said true love is when two people with complementing pathologies meet. Ah <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, I guess that's a good question, though. It's because we do want to leave this on a positive note. It's like, if everyone is fucked up, (laughs) 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 like, what are some ways that we can start? I mean, we talked about boundaries, we talked about being realistic in fantasy, but what are some other ways that you can start kind of taking ownership and having Mm -hmm. healthy relationships? I strongly believe that the healthiness of your relationships is going to be a reflection of your emotional Mm -hmm. healthiness yourself. Right. So, I mean, the first thing that anybody can do is just start getting right with themselves, start dealing with their own problems individually, go to therapy, read books, you know, meditate, do whatever you need to do to get to a good spot yourself. Because this is kind of the problem that you were alluding to earlier. If you feel like you need somebody to compensate Mm -hmm. for how bad you feel yourself, it's never going to turn out well. You need to feel good yourself. And then partner is simply somebody who adds to that. I think also you talked about in the Audible original about just like having the courage to love. And I think that actually is really important and something we've talked about in other episodes too is I think a lot of times some of this game playing and some of this like setting up a boundary to see if they're gonna break it and follow through whatever that may be a lot of that is a distraction of finding Mm -hmm. love 
in having that totally. courage? Like how do people kind of break through and have that courage? It's hard because it, it's proportional to a willingness to be hurt. I mean, ultimately, I think people who go through painful breakups and and I, I get a lot of emails, especially from younger people who have just had their first heartbreak. And, you know, we all remember our first heartbreak. We right. thought the world was going to end. And, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't. And in fact, you end up being much better for it. Yep. And, you know, I, I try to remind people of that, that it's actually going through that experience and, and seeing that the world doesn't end, seeing that there are other people out there for you, seeing that you can survive on your own, that you can be happy on your own. That's what gives you the courage to say, you know what, I'm going to take this leap with this person and see see what happens. And I hope it goes well, but if it doesn't, I'll be fine. That allows you to engage the relationship from a place of confidence and strength. I always say, that love can't be found. It can be felt. Mm. And I say this a lot because I feel like by people saying, I'm here to find love, it's like an object that just exists in the road and you just find it and somehow (laughs) you take it in. But to feel love, it's you have to feel it from within. And when you feel love, you are putting the accountability on yourself to do that and not just trying to find it somewhere. So I, it really goes hand in hand with our conversation where yes, love is not enough, but love is the beginning of you putting yourself out there to at least open to feeling that. Once you feel that, how do you constantly choose to feel the love and work on your relationship. I love that. And that's a great way to kick off takeaways. I mean, I think the other big takeaway I had from this conversation is also just understanding why you're doing certain things. Like, for example, if you're living in a fantasy, is that because you're just afraid to be in love? Like, are you afraid Mm -hmm. to bring love into your life? Like, what is the root of where this is coming from? And I think the other big takeaway is if you're in an unhealthy situation, it's better to confront that reality and either work your way out of it. I think that was reassuring that it doesn't necessarily be that you're in a toxic relationship, it needs to be toxic forever. But I think having, again, the courage, it all comes back to courage to be able to say, okay, well, if I do bring this up, I state my needs, I say what I need in a relationship, and they're not willing to meet me or have a conversation, I'm okay walking away from this. And I think that courage is equally as important as the courage to actually find love. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really fantastic. My biggest takeaway from something you said, Mark, and it just blew my mind. I wrote it down in in big (laughs) capital letters. (laughs) Fix versus evolve. Oh, yes. Can we just simmer on that for a sec? Because we always say, oh, I have this problem, even just like your own personal development problems. I have a problem that I'm always late. I need to fix that problem. Fixing seems so drastic because Mm -hmm. it's turning one action and you're, you're fixing yourself and going the flip side, going a perfect 180. And it doesn't happen like that. But evolve is so different. It visually to me seems like you're climbing a different hill and just making those small baby steps. So in relationships too, it's not about fixing your problems and your issues, it's about evolving from them. And I think that is the most brilliant way to distinguish how we can evolve as a couple. And I also love this idea of um, identifying the fantasies you've had, whether they're positive <laughs> or negative. Yeah. In fact, maybe all fantasies have a negative impact because they're not reality. So maybe just even plotting out your love history and seeing what were some of the disconnect. What did you want to happen? Mm-hmm. Identify that as a fantasy and identify what the reality was. And then you were able to 
to find that delta of, oh, that's where that fantasy came from. Okay, that's where my fantasy was and that's where the reality yeah. was. That I would do that today. Oh, that's <laughs> a great action item for people. <laughs> and it's, I'll even, I'll even throw in my own takeaway. Yes, I, mean, yeah, I do. <laughs> One thing that was cool about the fantasy thing from the project was I realized that this is something that we all do and it's, it's something that we all continue to do. Like I, even though like I'm happily married, I've been married for years now, I noticed that even within my marriage, I create these stories or these fantasies mm -hmm. of like what a marriage is supposed to be. What is a husband supposed to do? What is a wife supposed to do? And over and over again, I realized like, well, wait, why? That's not necessarily true. Like, why, why do I think that is true? Why am I assuming that? Why do I think that I need that to be happy? Um, and so it's something that it's a lesson that is is kind of born out of the dating world, but it's it continues to be valuable even in committed relationship land. Well, Brene mm. Brown, she does this with her husband too. So I agree, it doesn't end on dating at all. Yeah. But her thing is like when there's something that she's feeling uncomfortable with, she'll say to him, the story in my head is X. And mm -hmm. it's really putting out there that this is how I'm feeling right this minute. That might be completely invalid, but let's just talk about it. Let's have an open yeah. communication and see if this is valid or a total fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like a great way to build a healthy relationship. Like we talked about earlier, it all comes down to how you navigate conflict. So putting that stuff out there and being vulnerable with it is a great way to go from something that might feel more toxic or fantasy land or whatever it is to healthy. And yeah. this is so much about what, what you've done in Love is Not Enough is hearing these people talk about what they're going through and just hearing them speak. I feel like they've started to resolve their own yeah. issues because sometimes you just have to put it out there in words or on paper. And when you read it or view it from a third party's perspective, it becomes so much more clear. I think yeah. that goes back to the whole evolution piece too. And we're talking about this and we've all, I mean, we all shared our own situations too. No one is immune to this. Like everyone has been in less than ideal situations or situationships, as we mentioned. Yeah. And <laughs> I think you kind of have to go through it. It lets you see what you'll never stand for again. And I think mm -hmm. like until you've had these experiences, I think where it becomes toxic is when you keep having the same experiences over and over again and not learning from it, but also cut yourself some slack if you have had one of these situations because yeah. it's okay. Everyone's been there. You got to have them to learn from them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, awesome. any parting advice for daters out there who want to be in healthy relationships today? Uh, well, considering we're in quarantine... Uh, <laughs> start fantasizing quarantine yeah, yeah, love yeah yeah that whole thing about fantasy uh yeah. you know like take the next couple months and fantasize like crazy <laughs> um i don't know you know it's hard today uh i i think it's become such a more complex world you know, since I, I started writing dating advice years and years ago. But I, I think, you know, the core principles hold true. And I think it's ultimately the biggest challenge today is less of the tactics or the nuts and bolts of dating. I think a lot of the, the problem today is simply getting clear on screening for the right person and mm -hmm. knowing your values, knowing what you want in your life, uh, knowing what you will and won't, will not stand for, and then use the abundance of connection today to start filtering aggressively 
to find people who match the, those things. Um, so it's and using it's a, video it's, calls to scream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, another qu- quarantine, you could use this time to self-reflect. Like this is yes. a really good time, like to put dating a little on the back burner. Not to say you can't do the video calls, but maybe it's really getting clear with yeah. looking at your past list of fantasies, the idea, uh, totally. the action item, or even just like what you just said of really pin- pinpointing what is it the core values that really are essential for you. Yeah, that's step number one. Yeah, I, I've writing a lot about you know the last few weeks about how people should use this time to kind of evaluate themselves, evaluate their lives, what they want in their lives, what they don't want in their lives, and so I think that's a huge first step. It will if this thing ends up going on for a long time. You know, obviously people will want to start dating again at some point. Right. Uh, so it, it could start to get super interesting, um, <laughs> yeah. but I don't think we're there yet. I think right now, I agree. It's focus on yourself first. Date yourself. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe only yourself if you're quarantined with yourself. <laughs> hey, guys. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap this up, can I just bring it back to the meatloaf song? Because I <laughs> I never really thought about the lyrics because I, w- I would just sing literally the chorus, which is I would do anything for love. <laughs> but then he says, but I won't do that. What, what do you think that refers to? Because to me, I'm like, Anal? I don't That's know. Like, I what, what is it that you mean? <laughs> I would do anything for love, but nope, I won't do that. I mean, every every time I've heard this song, my mind has gone to very dark, fucked up places. Yeah. So. <laughs> Murder? I won't. Maybe all this time, he was just helping be ambiguous so everyone could figure out what their own that is. Mm. There you go. Wow, so deep. Or it was anal. Me- I don't know. What else? Or <laughs> anal, <yeah. laughs> He's like, fuckers, I just wanted to talk about anal. That's all. Meatloaf, the dating guru. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Mark, for being part of this conversation. Um, For anybody who would love to listen to A Love Is Not Enough, you can download it on Audible, and you can find out more information at markmanson.net. Thanks for having me, guys. So we'll wrap this up. Stay Stay dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag stay dateable and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.